Okay, thank you, Danny. Appreciate that so much. Uh, would you take your Bible now and turn to Mark chapter 8? Mark chapter 8 as we continue uh, to go through the book of uh, Mark together. It says, In those days the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now when those who had eaten were, were about 4,000, and he sent them away. Immediately he got into a boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmathia. And now verse 13. And he left them, and getting into the boat, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes you do not see, having ears you do not hear, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basket full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. Also, when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, Seven. So he said to them, How is it you do not understand? Have you ever had the spiritual blahs? Have you ever just been where you're just not into it spiritually? You know, you either don't feel like going to church, or if you go to church, you just don't get anything out of it. You may hear the sermon, but you don't really understand what the preacher's talking about. It really doesn't sink into your heart. Just, you're just spiritually dull at that point in your life. Well, the disciples were that way. The disciples in chapter 8 of Mark just weren't with it. They just weren't on the same wavelength with Jesus Christ. They just didn't understand what He was trying to teach them. And He was indeed trying to teach them because 
He knew he was going to the cross pretty soon and that was going to be a devastating experience. And in verse 31, he warned them of that. And verse 34, he said, you need to take up your own cross. He was teaching these disciples because they would become the leaders of the church. But here in Mark chapter 8, these guys just aren't ready. These guys just aren't with it. They just don't understand They aren't making any progress in their spiritual lives. It's like they've a derailed train. They just, the Lord just couldn't get them to go anywhere. And so Jesus sets out to help them be cured of the spiritual blahs, to help them to get with it, to help them get it back on track spiritually, to make progress. They had been with Jesus almost two and a half years, and yet we see evidence of how dull and how spiritually lifeless they were. And again, sometimes we can be that way. And so this morning I want to share a message entitled, How to Cure the Spiritual Blahs. You may not be that way right now. You may be doing great spiritually right now, but you'll have times in your spiritual life where You'll have the spiritual blahs. And so notice first of all this morning that Jesus refreshes the multitude. He ministers to people who were running on empty spiritually and physically. And Jesus ministered to them and He can minister to us as well. And notice the the, the hunger of the multitude. We read about this in the first three verses. That they were hungry. But they were hungry spiritually. They were hungry for spiritual food. It says in those days the multitude was very great and had nothing to eat. And Jesus called His disciples and notice what He said. I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with Me three days. Three days this multitude of people had been with Jesus and no doubt... Jesus spent most of that time teaching and preaching the Word of God. And these people had been with Him for three days. Reminds me of the old days when people would go to a camp meeting where day after day after day they would get together and hear the preaching of the Word of God. And these people had been with Jesus for three days hearing Him Day after day, hour after hour, there must have been an interest, there must have been a a hunger to hear the Word of God. Man, Jesus must have been some preacher. For them to hear Him for three days, for hours on end, man, when I preach, you're ready to go at 12 (laughs) o'clock, looking at your watch. When is He going to be done? No, but these folks were were, uh, hungry for spiritual food. But by the third day, they were hungry for physical food. It says uh, in uh, verse 1, they had nothing to eat. Jesus said in verse 2, they had nothing to eat. Their food had run out. No doubt they brought some food with them. But as they lingered another day, another day, the food had run out and they were in a wilderness. There was hardly any food available. And so they were now hungry for physical food. And you know, 
There are times when we're not just running on empty spiritually, but sometimes we're running on empty physically. And uh, we, we lack what we need. And we're in a similar kind of position. But notice the good news, for we read of the compassion of Jesus. He says, I have compassion on the multitude. I want you to know that when you're running empty, whether spiritually or physically, Jesus cares about you. The Bible said He had compassion on the multitude and He has compassion upon you when you're running empty, when you're hungry. Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry. You remember He went off into the wilderness and fasted and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. and He knew hunger. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus cares when you're hungry. Jesus cares about the people in Haiti and the people in other parts of the world who are hungry. I'm thankful that we do not serve a God who doesn't care, but we serve a God who cares who has compassion. And so notice that Jesus, because of His compassion for the multitude, He calls the disciples to act, to do something. It says in the last of verse 1 that He called His disciples to Him. He was going to get them involved in meeting the needs of these people and feeding their Hungry bodies. And notice what Jesus does. First of all, He calls upon them to consider the need. You know, when people are hungry about us, when people are hurting about us, when people have needs about us, we may be prone to just ignore it, to, to not even think about it. But Jesus did not want them to ignore the problem. He wanted them to consider the need that was surrounding them. He says in verse 2 and verse 3 that they've continued with me these three days and they have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way. For some of them have come from afar. By the way, where I'm from, when someone says they've come from afar, that may mean they've come from a fire, but... Uh, <laughs> But anyway, they had come from afar, from far distance. From a far distance. And even if he sent them away in their present condition, walking miles and miles and miles, they would faint. Jesus wants them to consider the need. And folks, we need to consider the needs that are about us. As we have heard this week about the devastating earthquake and Haiti and all the loss of life and the, the, the people not having food and they're, they're, they're hungry and they need help. And we're not just to ignore the problem. We are to consider the need that is about us. And so he not only called them to consider the need, but he called upon them to consider how to meet the need. Now the disciples you know, seemed like they may be thinking on this wavelength here. In verse 4, he, the disciples answered him, How 
can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Now, in one sense, they're saying, okay, now how can we help these people? And immediately conclude, we can't. Immediately, they felt they had no responsibility in this situation because there's nothing they can do. They're in a wilderness. They can't go and buy bread, even if they had the money. The, the, the places for bread, is, they're too far away. We can't do anything. And we sometimes make the mistake when people are hurting about us, when they're hungry and there's needs all about us. We may want to ignore the need, and when we can't ignore the need, we might say, well, what can we do? There's nothing we can do about it. I don't have much money, I don't have much time, I don't have much resources. But Jesus would not accept their answer, saying there's nothing we can do. For notice what he does in verse 5, he says, well, How many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. Don't say you can't do anything. Take a look at what you can do. What you can give to the, the, the relief effort in Haiti may be small, but what can you do? God can take what little you give and, and multiply it with, with many other believers, and we can do much for the Lord. And so sure enough, we see the, in this story the provision of God. Jesus Christ cares for people, God loves people, and He is willing to provide for their needs. And Jesus provides for their needs here. And notice how He does it. First of all, He gives thanks for what they did have. He took the seven loaves that they had, and the Bible says that He gave thanks. He gave thanks. You know... Before you ask God to give you what you don't have, first, thank Him for what you do have. Because you've already got a lot. He's already blessed you with a lot. Don't expect Him to give you more if you're not thankful for what you do have. And so Jesus gave thanks for what they did have. And He gave thanks, I'm sure, for what the Heavenly Father was about to do through Him. And he gave thanks publicly. And I believe that's an example for us that we should be thankful and we should be thankful publicly. I remember when I first started hanging around with Baptists. I didn't grow up Baptist. I started hanging around with Baptists and uh, we'd go out to eat at the pizza place or somewhere and, and uh, they'd want to have a, a blessing before the meal. Well, I, wasn't used to, I was used to that at home, but not in public. And, I, and quite honestly, at first, I was a little uncomfortable about, you know, praying in public. But Jesus prayed in public, and we shouldn't be ashamed to bear witness of our gratitude publicly like Jesus did. He gave thanks, and then He broke and multiplied the bread, and likewise, the fish. We don't know how it happened, but somehow, as He broke the bread, the supply just kept on coming, enough to feed a multitude in the same way with those small fish that they had. Jesus Christ can take what little you offer to Him and multiply it. Jesus can meet 
the needs of the multitude. And notice that he provided abundantly. And there's a number of evidences for this here in this text of Scripture. Notice, for example, verse 8. And they ate and were filled. They had all they wanted. Now most of us, if not all of us, know what it's like to eat to the point where you are full. I mean, you didn't just eat a snack meal, you ate a big meal, and that describes these people. Of course, some of them probably had been without food for a day or more, and of course they, 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 they were wanting to eat plenty. And Jesus gave enough for them to eat all they wanted. God is good. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and have it abundantly. He provided abundantly. And we also see that in the fact that notice how much was left over. He provided more than enough. They took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now you may say, well, Jesus didn't provide as much this time around. Last time he provided 12. They had so much, there were 12 baskets left over. Now there's only seven. Well, actually, the word basket here is a different Greek word from the other occurrence. It's translated large basket for a reason. Because the same word is used in Acts where they let Paul down the side wall in a basket. It was large enough for a man to get into. So it was like a big hamper basket. Seven big baskets left over. And not only that, but we read in verse 9 that he provided enough food for 4,000 people. And Matthew's account makes us understand that's just the men. There were probably women and children, probably 8,000 or more who were there in the multitude that day. So Jesus Christ not only cared for these people, but he met their need and provided abundantly. Listen, when you're running empty spiritually, when you're running on empty physically, I want you to know that Jesus Christ can restore your soul. He can meet the needs of your life. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus cares for you and will meet the needs of your life. So we see Jesus refreshing the multitude. But then we see Jesus rebuking his disciples. Again, we've already seen some of their spiritual dullness in the story I've just read to you. Jesus calls upon them to help them feed the multitude and, and they say, well, how can we feed a multitude in this wilderness? Duh. Come on, guys, think a minute. It wasn't long in another wilderness when you and Jesus fed 5,000. Guys, what are you thinking of? Let's get with it. Wake up. Get with the program. And here in verse 13 and following, we see even more evidence of their spiritual dullness. 
And notice what we read here. First of all, to set the stage, you need to see the warning of Jesus. Now, they had gone to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, The Pharisees met them and demanded a sign, and Jesus refused to honor their unbelief. They got back in the boat and headed right back over again to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And while they were in the boat, Jesus had some time alone with his disciples, and he wanted to teach them and warn them. He had just been confronted by the Pharisees, and so he says in verse 15, he charged them saying, Take heed, beware. Now he, he, he starts off by saying, he uses two different words for be on the lookout, for danger, danger. You know, when, when you're going through an area where there's danger, you need to keep your eyes wide open, you need to be looking out lest you fall victim to that danger. Jesus warns them of danger. What's the danger? He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. First of all, he warns them of the leaven of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were religious. Let me ask you a question. If you're going to be right with God, um, do you just need to be religious? Mm. Being religious doesn't make you right with God. If if being religious makes you right with God, then the Pharisees were were, were right with God, for they were very religious, very devoted to their religion of tradition and rituals and legalistic rules most of them being man-made rules. And Jesus says, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, what's, what, again, how do we apply that to, to us today? Well, we need to watch out for a religion or a denomination that focuses on the Christian life being a matter of keeping rules and just going through certain rituals and traditions, just outwardly following these things. Don't fall victim to a pharisaical religion. And then he warns them of the leaven of Herod. There was a group in Israel called the Herodians. And the Herodians believed that the best thing they can do is just support Herod and go along with Rome. When in the Roman Empire, do as the Romans do was their motto. You know, They were very worldly and materialistic and they felt they would be better off financially, economically, politically, just supporting whatever the world says. And even so, you need to watch out for the danger of worldliness in your Christian life. Be on the guard against the danger of materialism in your Christian life. A materialistic worldly life and orientation will sap your spiritual energy. 
Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God in His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Now we need material things, but that's not the priority of our lives. And, uh, and, and just doing whatever the world says and behaving the way the world says, being worldly, is, 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 is a, a spiritual danger that you are to avoid. And then Matthew's account indicates that he also warned against the leaven of the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the liberals of the day. They, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in uh, angels. And we've got religious liberals in churches today who doubt most or all the miracles of the Bible. Why? Because the world says it can't happen. And so they changed the message to make it suitable to the world. And isn't that what leaven does to bread? It makes it taste better? Which would you rather eat, the good yeast roll or old flat, hard, unleavened bread? Well, there's a lot of folks that want to take Christianity and make it palatable to the world, to unbelievers. That's leaven that will spread and, and, and destroy the life of God's people. And Jesus warned about it. So we see the, the warning of Jesus. But we see the disciples just not understanding what he's talking about. Again, we see their spiritual dullness. It says there in verse 14, Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. By the way, I wonder what disciple was in charge of making sure they had bread. <laughs> Boy, he really messed up. One loaf of bread for 12 disciples and Jesus. Well, they, they messed up. When we had one loaf of bread, Jesus warned them of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees. And notice what they, what they say, verse 16. And they reason among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. Uh-oh, Jesus is warning us. You know, we don't have much bread, but don't accept bread from the Pharisees. Don't accept bread from the Herodians. Don't accept bread from the Sadducees. They were thinking of leaven in very literal terms when Jesus was talking about leaven in spiritual terms. These guys didn't even know their Bible. The Old Testament uses leaven as a symbol of sin. And that's why at the Passover they had to go searching the house, getting rid of leaven as symbolic of the fact that we've got to get sin out of our lives. And Paul was thinking about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 when he says, don't you know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Don't you know that a little sin can spread throughout the whole congregation? And furthermore, leaven is a symbol of the evil of false doctrine. And Paul uses leaven in that sense in Galatians chapter 5. And indeed, false doctrine can spread like leaven spreads through dough. There's a lot of people that say, oh, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as we love one another. 
Nothing could be further from the truth. It does matter what you believe according to Jesus. He warned of the danger of the doctrines of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians. It does matter what we believe because false doctrine is dangerous. It keeps people out of heaven. False doctrine ruins Christian lives. It destroys churches and denominations. And yet these guys, they just didn't understand Jesus. He was talking about spiritual leaven. They were thinking literal leaven. They just weren't on the same wavelength, and so they just didn't get it. Reminds me of the story of a guy that went out to the country to visit his girlfriend. And it was a, a romantic night, you know. They were on the porch swing. He had his arm around her, you know. And they could hear the crickets chirping, the wind rustling through the wee leaves. In the distance, at the little country church, a church choir rehearsing. And he was a nature lover, so he was tuned in to the crickets. And she was a music lover, and she was tuned in to the church choir. And he said, oh, isn't that lovely? And she said, oh, it sure is. He said, you know, I, I hear they make that sound by rubbing their hind legs together. They were just on different wavelengths. <laughs> no rubbing hind legs. <laughs> Listen, if you're going to communicate, if you're going to understand, you've got to be on the same page. You've got to be on the same wavelength. And they just weren't with it spiritually. They just weren't connecting with Jesus. And so, what do we need to do? We'll finally notice the solution. He's trying to help these folks. He's trying to help these disciples. And when you get in, the, in, in your own time of spiritual buzz, when you're just not with it spiritually, when you're off track, when you're not growing, when you're not getting anything out of the worship service, then you need to do what Jesus says to do here. First of all, you need to get into the Word of God and reflect upon God's truth and really understand it. Notice what Jesus said in the last of verse 17. Here's the problem they needed to correct. He said, Do you not yet perceive nor understand? I've been teaching you for two and a half years now. You guys still don't understand. And there are you know, if, if, if you're going to grow in your Christian walk, you need to understand the Bible. Now, I'll be honest, when I first started reading the Bible, I did not understand it. There was a lot I didn't understand. But, but you know what? The more I read it, the more I studied it, the more I began to understand it. And I would pray and ask God to give me understanding of your word. Folks, when you are spiritually dull, when you're not with it spiritually, you need to get back into the Word of God and, and really reflect upon it and read it and, and uh, ask God to help you understand it. 
And then you need to take a look at your own heart. Jesus says in the last of verse 17, by the way, he asks nine questions to kind of help his disciples. Here's another one. Is your heart still hardened? Are you not understanding because you have a hard heart? The truth just can't penetrate? What's wrong? Is your heart hard? If you ever come to church and you just maybe barely even wanted to be there and you heard the singing and you heard the preaching and you, you walk out and you say to yourself, boy, the preacher just didn't have it today. Well, sometimes the preacher doesn't have it. <laughs> sometimes the preacher may have a bad day or pick a text that he just doesn't quite get into. And sometimes when you walk away and feel like the preacher just didn't connect, sometimes it may be the preacher's fault. And, and by the way, I, I want to thank you. I don't know if I ever had anybody say to me at the door, Preacher, you just didn't have it today. <laughs> Y'all are so gracious and so kind. But I want you to consider this. It may not be the preacher. It may be your own hard heart. Now how do you get a hard heart? I can tell you. By persistent disobedience. God has dealt with you about a sin. And you just say, uh-uh, God. I like it and I'm going to keep doing it. And you develop a hard heart. And God's going to have a hard time getting through to you with a hard heart. Or a hard heart of unbelief where you just won't believe God. There are different ways we can get a hard heart. We, we fall out of love with Jesus. But when you have the spiritual blahs, when you're not with it spiritually, you need to first take a look at your own heart and see if, like the disciples, you've got a hard heart. And you've got to just go to God and say, God, soften my heart, break Break my heart. By the way, be careful. <laughs> be careful what you pray for. He, he may break your heart. He, he may bring brokenness into your life to get that heart soft again. Take a look at your own heart and remember what you've learned and experienced. In the last of verse 18, Jesus says, And do you not remember... Jesus warns them of eleven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians. And they reason among themselves, it's because we've only got one loaf of bread. They're worrying that they might not have enough bread. Guys, think, remember, I fed 5,000 with five loaves. I fed 4,000 with seven loaves. Don't you think I can handle one loaf for 12 people? Do you think that's what I'm talking about? Remember what I've done in the past and reflect upon it. And you know, there are times in our lives where we face some new trial and we get all upset. And we Remember, God saw you through many a trial in the past. He'll do it again. Remember what God has done for you. 
Remember what you've read in the Word of God and apply it to your life. And if we will get into the Word of God like we ought to, if we will let God deal with a hardened heart, if, if we will remember both our experiences and what we've learned, we can get out of the spiritual doldrums. We can get back on track. We can grow spiritually. And that's my challenge to you and to me from God's Word this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus saw the need not only of the multitude but also of the disciples. And He met the need. And Lord, I pray if any of us are in a state of spiritual blah, we're just not with it spiritually. We're just not getting anything out of the services. Our spiritual life is off track. Lord, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts and help us to renew our walk with you. Lord, we remember the day you saved our soul. What joy filled us. We remember those times of spiritual growth and excitement. Lord, renew your work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.